spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. It's actually apt that uh, you get to experience me in uh, Four Corners right now because I have been dubbed an 8 out of 10 by uh, Room Raider on Twitter. So the, oh. the backstory here is that I made a little YouTube video where I essentially did a Short Mercy reading and I like read the first yeah. chapter of Short Mercy in like a YouTube video and I got like, I don't know, like 35 views. It was it was a super small deal. But something called Room Raider uh, has an algorithm that like picks out YouTube videos that are embedded in tweets that are just like a person yeah. sitting in their room. They capture a still of that video and then they rate the room based on like aesthetics and balance and lighting. And so they're like typewriter collection, VW micro bus, guitar, could use better lighting, eight out of 10. And so that's funny. But then like, it turns out they have like a half a million person following. And so this whole community like gloms on and they have their say as well. And so that initial tweet like went mini viral. And then a bunch of other Whoa. people are like, you got robbed by Room Raider. It's a perfect 10 out of 10. And then I had one person like follow the thread and they actually watched my video and they tweeted me and they're like, by the way, is your book suitable for 14 year olds? <laughs> and you were like, yeah, so I was. Say for 14 year old. I was like, it's perfect for a 14 year old. And so maybe I sold a book to a stranger through Room Raider. Do you actually think, like, what is the perfect age for your book? That's a great question. Uh, the reading level uh, is grade 11, grade 12. I know that. Okay. So th that was like a thing that was checked out and said to you. No, 11, no, you can just run it. Anybody can run their writing through. Uh, oh, you can run it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so take like that with a grain of salt, I guess. It's, there's, there are zero curse words in it. And there are also like very few $5 words in it because it should just be like a beach read. Um, sure. And so like, I kind of reject the very premise of like age brackets for books outside of the obvious, which is that like some books are for little babies. Um, but uh, certainly a 14 year old, a 14 year old could enjoy the book because by the way, one of the characters is 17. And so like, right. it helps that the two characters are like 40 and 17, because that kind of covers yeah. a few different demographics. Um, but any younger than 14, while it would not be inappropriate for them, they might not enjoy themselves just on like on a relatability standpoint. Right. Nice. Um, I, uh, I, I do have this on my list to finish over. The, this is one of the things, one of the boxes that I'm going to tick over Christmas break. I've got two weeks off, like my, my busyness is done where I'm like trying to squeeze in like workouts or runs or whatever. I've got full days. Oh yeah. Let me know. So I will, I'll be checking through it. Yeah. Let me know. You can totally do it. It's like the, the chap, the chapters oh, are, are short. It's not a big, a big tome. Anytime I picked it up, I've read like 30 pages. Nice. Nice. But Good. I've just only done that like three or four times. But isn't the concept of room Raider just so funny? Cause like, it, it mostly it, yes. mostly flattered me like eight out of ten is a good review and like i didn't know it existed and so like this is good i it made me feel good about myself and maybe i sold a copy to a stranger but it's funny to me that they just give you a score without being asked and so like if you had a messy room and you made a youtube video that had nothing to do with your tidiness and then some stranger with five hundred thousand followers was like by the way you got to tidy up three out of ten it's like i never yeah. asked you my <laughs> My boss and I actually had this talk about just like setting your rooms up and, and you know, mine's pretty minimal. It's just a couple shelves with a wall right behind me. 
I like that you really give me some thought because you do have a good room behind you. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily designed for like to be broadcast. No. But there's there's a lot going on, but at the same time, there's nothing that makes you that guy. Like my boss was like, he was like, I had this like cool like like Dragon Ball Z little like framed thing. And he was like, I was gonna put that up on my shelf behind me, but then like I would be like people would see it and be like, Oh, he's like an anime. And he's like, and I'm not at all like, this is just like a specific, like there's a story behind it or something, but I don't want to showcase that. So I kind of did the same. Like, I'm like, I have this like very minimalist Danish art framed behind me. It's really classy. Small plants. Yeah. I I think you don't want to give everything away. And, and, but, but you like, I like what yours says about you because you can kind of see like the star Wars Pez dispenser. You can see the typewriter. Overall, you can see the, I think it's a record player. Yep. So overall, I just get eclectic. Yes. No, I have good vibes behind me, but here's the thing. You take a lot of like Zoom calls and I do not. And so the thing about your, uh, your boss having a Dragon Ball Z poster in the background is that he spends his whole work day on Zoom talking to people and just imagine the number of people who would use that as an icebreaker. It would drive you crazy. And yeah, you don't have a lot of that strategically. I think that gets you out of a lot of awkward, boring conversations. But if I were to take a lot of daily meetings in this room, do you know how often I'd have to talk about the typewriters and the little Woody doll hanging off the guitar stand and the VW microbus and all of my books? Like it's quite busy and it's suitable because it's like my favorite room and it happens to look good, but I don't do a lot of zooming from this room. I think you're kind of uh, writing off the fact that I want to have those conversations. Like I want to like break down the wall, like have those icebreakers. Like that's always a nice way in. I guess. Like a guy that I jumped on the call with the other day and he had like a beautiful, like, like sunburst um, Les Paul behind him. I was like, whoa, nice Les Paul. And I was able to just kind of like go in there. And that was like a jumping off point. But rarely does that happen. So when I do get stuff like that, if someone got like a San Francisco 49ers license plate behind them, I'm like, Niners fan, like Jimmy G doing well. How about George Kittle? Like, you know, it's just those kind of... Well, so actually what we're discovering is that you're the eclectic one because you're able to translate all of this ancillary stuff into actual personality and conversation just based on your... Uh, gregarity mm, mm, yeah maybe maybe that's it it's because i'm a master of none but i know like <laughs> a little bit about you can show me an electric guitar and i know it you can show me uh uh you know a, a 49ers thing and i'll i'll know it i could you know just sports tool general interest things i'd like maybe put a toe into every pool before that guy knew what he was doing when he put a les paul in the background of his zoom calls that's not an accident that it's sitting there he also had a um uh framed photo (laughs) i'm not gonna get in trouble for this because there's no way this guy would ever hear he also had a framed like like painting of kurt cobain smoking a cigarette over his and I was like, wow, you're really going for a vibe here, bud. <laughs> and it was like at a big, like upstate New York, like kind of like mansion type thing. I was right. like, all right, guy, yeah, we get it. Yeah, he really came as he was. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad not to be a part of the... It'll happen someday. I'll, I'll be in a universe where I have to do all these Zooms, but I, I just do them with like you and my brother, and I have maybe one team meeting a week with people who know me already. People talk about Zoom fatigue a lot, and like I find it very um, draining in the moment to mm. like... Or like right after you're done, you're kind of like, whew. But that's more because I'm like having a presentation. Like these, these I like more than a phone call. Like I would way rather just like sure have this than have a phone up to my ear. Like there's so much more interactions. So when people talk about Zoom fatigue, I think what they really mean is they just miss like human interaction. But yes. like this is a, a great alternative. You, I think, have the minority opinion right now, especially as like more of this is gearing <laughs> up again. Everyone's like, fuck Zoom. I can't do this anymore. I'm like, I literally have been living my life on Zoom since like April. Yeah. And I don't like, I, I don't have anything against that. I think it's a terrific tool. Can Can I just pause to say that your audio is not solid? It's like, um, you sound a little like you ran your AirPods through the washing machine. Uh, oh. And sometimes it cuts out a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. You sound a little robotic, a little bit like a Jetson. Oh, this is not good. I wonder if people are having the same experience when I'm <laughs> when I'm uh, running sales calls. I don't know. Was it, was it ever good tonight? No, and it's kind of been like a little buzzy tonight. Weird. Yeah. Um, what would help here? Does that make it better? Maybe you're not I talking. Turn. I just turned my iPad off. Maybe. I mean, we there. did have weird interference from your iPad one time before, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give it a shot. It's not like you can't be heard. It's just like, it's it's not crystal clear considering those ear AirPods. Yeah. Kind of robotic. Yeah, well, that's not a good example. <laughs> this is like the, the Adonis Atari. Uh, is that his name? Adonis Atari? Atlas Atari. The guy who, who was on uh, Saturday Night Live. And on Weekend Update, he did the like robot. Oh Joker. yeah, it is Adonis something, isn't it? I don't know his name. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Adonis Atari. Very, A-T-A-T-A-R-I. very little, little screen time for that guy so far. Yeah. Hopefully, he's doing more writing. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a tough year for people to like make their break, and it's been a couple of years since like newcomers on SNL really broke out. I would say like Bowen and Chloe Fineman are the last like additions to the cast who like really came in loud and are going to be there yeah. for as long as they want. Yeah, and Chloe Feynman's been there for like a few years now. And I guess yeah, so is she, Bowen. She, yeah, she and Bowen came the same season. Yeah. What did you think about Saturday Night Live this week? Another fascinating SNL artifact, eh? Yeah, just a really, really strange one. Like it was so taped together in yeah. the last minute. Well, like, like, and I mean taped like physically yes. like duct taped together to try to they just did this like patchwork show they were lucky to have had three pre-taped sketches from that week so they did have three sketches for the show that had never been seen before and they were really good so there was like the the home sense grandmas want grandkids commercial which i thought was pretty funny uh there was pete in 2053 which i thought was one of the best sketches of the year yeah yeah it was was funny like i i didn't find it like laugh out loud funny but i thought from like uh like a peak perspective. Yeah. Like just conceptually, it was like a good little short film that really perfectly like lampooned what Pete is, showed a lot of self-awareness on his part. And like, just to portray him as like still as an SNL cast member, but like now being an SNL cast member is like being a lounge singer for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
and uh, the third one I thought was actually the funniest one. Christmas the, socks. The bird one. Yeah. Christmas socks. So funny. TJ like, Rocks. I actually had good laughs. Yeah. Well, because it starts out to be like just a, a straight parody of Christmas shoes, the new song song, which and like for the first the first few uh, lines of their parody version, it's absolutely not weirder than the original song Christmas shoes, which is so weird. They're perfect for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but it just like uh, it turns a sharp left into all of, like about this pet bird who's flown the coop and his name is TJ Rocks. And, <laughs> and they, they ask so many like cursory questions about the bird and like, <laughs> does it squawk? Does it make noise? Otherwise, it's kind of a waste of a bird. And so the rest of the show is just throwing to like old clips, like classic clips. They played Christmas time for the Jews for the umpteenth time uh, yeah. and a special wish from Steve Martin. And so like these are always good bits to see again, but. It, it Like you said, it just felt like such a patchwork. And it's being hosted collectively by Tom Hanks and Tina Fey and Paul Rudd, who was meant to be the host. Although there's yeah. really some discussion right now over like whether or not that even counts as his five-timers club because he didn't do any more work than a lot of people. But then also yeah. Keenan and Che were there and it wasn't clear why. Yeah. I was like, is this a contractual thing where they like need to show up to get paid or something? And they were like, let's do it. Well, Michael Chase, the head writer. Yeah. And so the one that didn't have COVID. Does Joe have COVID? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Joe's had. Uh, actually, I, I read a New York Post article before the show happened. Oh, yeah. And it said like, it also said like, Cecily Strong is believed to be the person who's been speaking out against it but like lauren michaels wants it to happen and um against against like what wants, wants what to happen the show oh. like people like yeah speaking out against the show even happening like right. she was like that we should just pull it like you know people's okay but people's like safety is that something weird odd. is going on with Cecily publicly though because and this I don't know of anybody else who's commenting on this but like Cecily who everybody thought was leaving before this season right. after her like big yeah. uh, Judge Janine thing in the huge vat of wine it seemed like her swan song and then she came back probably because they gave her a big raise for the first yeah. I don't know how many episodes there have been so far say there have been 10 since the start of the season for the first eight Kate McKinnon was in literally Australia and Cecily has never had a better season she was all over the show. She is yeah. so funny, has such an opportunity to showcase her talent. And then Kate comes back for the last two before Christmas and Cecily is not seen. She's not at the thank yous. She's not in a sketch. She's not in a pre-tape in either of these two episodes. And so it's like oh, she can't coexist with McKinnon. Interesting. Now, I hadn't picked up on her having like a super strong ear. I found her to be really good. Yeah. She's That's just around good. a lot more. And I've always thought yeah. that she was underutilized because, and it's, it's not even like I, no, I, I do think that she's, she's one of the most talented cast members and she's earned the right to be in more stuff. But like, yeah. there's just this weird fascination the producers seem to have with putting Kate in everything. They have her play people that she should not be playing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 She's the darling. Yeah, but she's also like, 
I don't think she's as transitionable as as Cecily. I think Cecily, we had this discussion about Cecily being a huge star when we talked about Schmigadoon. She is inherently a bigger star than Kate McKinnon. So what is with, what am I missing here? Right. I don't know. Maybe she's tough to work with. Maybe. Well, according to Lauren, maybe. <laughs> yeah. There was an article about him today uh, and it was a little clickbaity. The headline is basically, and you're going to see this headline tomorrow too. It's basically like Lauren uh, Michaels planning his, his out. And it's not exactly true. He just candidly said in an interview that in three years, it'll be the 50th season. That seems like a pretty sensible time for me to consider uh, stepping away, especially since he'll be like 81 by then. Um, And he was asked, can the show survive without him? And he said, absolutely. And then he kind of cagily said that he already has an idea of what the show will look like in terms of leadership. And, yeah. and he he was asked to uh, divulge, and of course he didn't. And so this has the Twitter sphere being like, well, what does he mean? Who would be the new Lauren? And yeah. so I, I'm thinking, like, does does Seth want that job? Does Tina want that job? Mm, maybe it's Paula Pell. Paula Pell's. Paula Pell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. She, she works on it. Maybe it's Higgins. Higgins is not the worst choice, actually. That's kind of a good call. You know, these people that have always been around the show. Yeah, like Downey. probably have. Yeah. You said Downey? Downey, Smigel. These guys that like Conan talks about constantly. Oh, I thought you meant like Robert Downey Jr. No, not Robert. Like Jim Downey. <laughs> Sm- yeah. Maybe Smigel. Yeah. No, it's not going to yeah. be Smigel, but Higgins is a good guess. It's a good pull. Although, cool, right? has he ever had producerial aspirations? Because this seems to be a guy who's like quite happy to be in a comedy writer's room for 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's like the, um, like on 30 Rock, he'd be, uh, what's the loser's name? Uh, I don't know. The, the guy in the writer's room that they all like hate so much. I forget. His name. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a while. But uh, yeah, that'll be, you want to say that it would for sure be one of the younger people. But at the same time, I'm like, no, it'd probably be someone who's like over 50. Probably, but like it's really touchy because like it's got to be somebody with some cachet and some cool factor. Yeah, but like, does Tina Fey want that job, which is hard and all-consuming? Probably not. No, everyone, everyone who leaves SNL is like basically is like it's a it's like a love letter after the fact, but like they hated it so much while they were there. Yeah, and like I don't know how hands-on Lauren is. I gather he is quite a bit, but like I don't know how he's sustained that for 50 years with a little break there in the middle. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's Keenan. Maybe it's Keenan. He has the stamina. <laughs> Just been there forever. But again, it seems like it's such a waste to, to make him an executive when he is just like one of the world's great clowns. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And Lauren was never actually on SNL besides his like random things you would do right no i don't know hey what are you watching have you have you watched anything exciting yeah i've watched a bunch of stuff yeah me too so i i finished reservation dogs Hmm. so you start to finish that since i last talked to you you did all of it yeah yeah i felt like it was worth there's only nine episodes right and they're half hours i was like yeah i was like this is a worthy show to like it's on a lot of people's like top lists Let's bang this off. It's on Disney Plus. I liked it. 
Yeah, good. you get it. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, there were some like really kind of interesting episodes. I thought it was pretty funny. I didn't think it was like, I don't know if it, I would put it in my top three or anything, but I, I liked it. I, I think it's kind of like a, you know, a bit of an important show. Um, also something that's driven me crazy is George Strombo gave his list of top five shows. I don't know if you saw. Did not know. this list. It was the first three were like super weird. And then he misnamed the only murders that happen in the building. That's what he called this show. Oh my God. That's rather so than, weird. And by the way, rather than only murders in the out building. of character for him to pick that show. It doesn't have like, you know, how he's like always tried to uphold this rock show kind of quality. Like it's such a, a, yeah. a, a silly like grandma show. So his, his number one was reservation dogs, but his, his, uh, his, his other ones were like, oh, Resident Alien. Okay. Was his fourth. And his fifth was like this dumb, like murder mystery on Netflix. He was like the search for Rose. It's like one of the coolest shows. I was like, did someone just give you this list before you started this video? What is happening? I love George. I just do not understand what that guy's up to. Neither do I. Does he have a, he has a, a, uh, radio show. He has like an Apple show. I think. Yes, I think he works for Apple Music, and I I think he might still do his show on CBC too. I I think. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about him being an Apple asset, but like I don't know, is that working for anybody besides like Zane Lowe? Like, is anybody actually making it as an Apple radio host? I don't think any. I don't think any of them would say that they are. But I listen to like Ezra Koenig's show every week. Oh, you do talk about that. Week, yeah, I forgot so, about that. Yeah. And then, like Mark Hoppus has one, and it's not bad. He had uh, he had Jason Sudeikis on one time, and it was good. But like, it's not always interviews. Sometimes it's just like them, him, and like a couple of his buddies, which I'm a little less into. It feels very niche and out of the spotlight for me. But maybe I just don't have the 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 cool factor to to seek it out. And I'm more of a podcast guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the cool thing is like they kind of mix in some music. So like Mark Hoppus could be like, and here's Fugazi with right waiting room. Yes, podcasts don't have that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool. I I don't know. It's who's to say what it'll look like in the future. But. Howard Stern went on this like ridiculous rant the other day about how he hates being live on the radio. Like he hates that people can just like call him up and like. And that there's no, uh, I guess this is, there's like no delay. He just like hates that. And it's kind of a shtick because his whole thing is that he like hates things that make him rich. But like he's yeah. just going off about how he wishes so much that radio didn't have to be live. And in the studio, they're all like, well, you could do whatever you want. Like boss, like if you wanted yeah. it to be a pre-tape show, like obviously you have the clout to do that. But then like the comments on Instagram and stuff, everyone's like, Howard has been, talking about how stupid podcasts are for 10 years and how podcasts are going to die and that they're worse radio. And he clearly just wants to do a podcast, but nobody yes. can properly communicate to him. That's what he already invented podcasting. He invented it. Yeah. And everyone started doing like stern interviews and he thinks they're bad. And it's exactly what he, and he would like, he could cut out the middleman and like, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's just like, what a crank. What a crank. Yeah, I saw his list like at the end of every year. They do like a list of things 
he hates. Yes, yeah. And it's just like edited together. It was actually really funny. It's like, well I, done. I'm not a big Stern guy. So I'll, like I, I, I would be a big Stern guy if I had more dedication actually like, finding it and consistently listening to it. It's but hard, I, yeah. I, I, Affleck got in some trouble. He was on but, uh, Stern uh, last week and it was one of the best Stern interviews in years. And who I mean, Ben Affleck, and you would have heard Ben Affleck talk about yeah. it on, on Simmons as well because he's like, been yeah. doing press for this movie um the tender bar which looks awesome uh and he's like had to clarify his comments about jennifer garner like a bunch of times and he really shouldn't have had to because he was very clear in the stern interview what he meant but people yeah. are like truncating his quotes and taking the context away and making it sound like he was disrespectful and so a lot of the the dialogue around ben affleck and through ben affleck the last couple of weeks has been the dangers and the cynicism of how media talks about celebrities. And I found it kind of interesting. He's a fascinating guy. He is. He is. And I, um, I like there's, there's a little more depth than I thought was going to be there with him. Or maybe, maybe I found him more relatable than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, even him like talking about Tom Brady and stuff. I was like, oh, I want to hear you talk about well, your time with Tom Brady. See, that's the thing you do. And I realized that that sports are implicit to the Bill Simmons show. But, but you hate that I Well, I, I try my best to like know a little bit. But like, I'm, I, I'm very much excluded when they talk about uh, Tom Brady for half an hour. In an interview. And I understand that it's going to happen and it's a thing they have in common and also that sports are the first thing at the ringer. But like, I I want to hear Ben Affleck talk about celebrityhood and movies because he's a celebrity who makes movies and they talk about Brady for a half an hour and it's hard for me to get through it. Yeah, that's fair. It was a pretty repetitive story too. Like yeah. You very much knew where he was going with that story. Right. I think it might be because my internet connections unstable for some reason like i have no idea why but i you froze there for a second well you have been freezing a little bit too i i think maybe and i never have this problem when i do the podcast with ross which we always do virtually i just i think maybe you and i have a bad a bad zoom relationship i'm convinced a that it's it's upstairs and my broadband in the evening is lessened because jen's watching netflix downstairs which maybe. needs the internet in order to actually function maybe although becky's probably watching netflix too i don't know it, it the weird thing that happens i don't so much mind that your voice is buzzy but every now and then you'll you'll start to talk and the first three or four words are as if you are like across the street and down the hill and then it quick, oh. the volume comes back and so anyway i'm just acknowledging this so that the audience knows that i also hear it and we're just trying our best because the world is weird again Mm, yes thank you uh, yeah i'll I'll, uh, I'll try to make the first three words of every sentence not expendable <laughs> yeah <Okay. laughs> i appreciate I'll just that go, um, 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 that is that um, is paying too much attention you're being too conscious about your words i need you yeah. to be real other shows okay so we went on a bit of a tangent with strombo there but uh other shows i've been watching i haven't seen the new episodes of magruder have you seen that yet no has that started Yes, it started oh God, okay. on I think the sixteenth. So I do want to start watching that. Um, Reservation Dogs um, and Station Eleven. Obviously, we watched yeah. the first three episodes of that, um, and those come out every Thursday. Other than that, Hawkeye, 
and Saved by the Bell. I didn't talk about Saved by the Bell. Oh yeah, it's so good. Like it's so. I find the second season even funnier. They did a Dustin Diamond uh, send up. I guess they did a little tribute. Yeah, they kind of did in the first episode, like all of them uh, talking, like telling a story about Screech kind of thing. Be like, yeah, remember the time you did that? Oh yeah, remember the time you did this? Oh yeah, and, and then they kind of like cheers a burger in his honor but is it that screech has died is that why they're talking about him no they don't they don't say like man i wish he like didn't die or anything Mm. they just kind of do like a hey remember the time screech did that hey yeah yeah like screech and then they kind of say like to screech as if like maybe they maybe he is dead in the show too it doesn't matter they don't have to explain it like the audience knows why they're doing it and that's a classy yeah. move yeah yeah it was that and it was still kind of funny too like the clips they were showing were like still funny but i think they've they've really found a footing with the cast mm. and in the last episode they they did like there's this like big it's such a slapstick show like i i love it like it's such a like 30 rocky but even stillier yeah kind of style um and they did this whole thing where like all season zach's been talking about how like the first or no mac right Zach's son is he's like the first thing you need to he's so like maniacal like he's not the main character but he's like always coming in and be like hey oh no you're not uh you're not hypnotized by someone are you it's so dangerous to be double hypnotized implying <laughs> that he's already hypnotized right or to, like that's like, his whole like kind of kind of shtick so uh, there was this whole thing where he said, the first thing you do when you get someone's name is you rearrange the letters in their name to figure out like what their actual name is. And then so this character's name was like Gil something. Anyways, it turns out that he's like a rival from the other school because when you when you rearrange the letters of his name, it's actually I go to Valley. Oh my and he God. Was like, uh, he was like a huge like, ner- but then like, you see the character turn like all of the same. And he was a love interest of the main character. <laughs> like He's like got the super devious face. And like, we were dying laughing at just the fact that it was like such a huge work up to it. The show's funny. Like you would, I think you'd be into it if you, if you kept watching. I think it's a smart move that they're conscious of the fact that there's just really nothing redeemable enough about the Zach Morris character type that they just actively choose not to make Mac the main character. They're just like, no, he, he can't. We can't, like Zach in this day and age doesn't work as a hero. He, this person can't be the lead. Totally. He's, he's very much like cancelable and aware of cancel culture in yeah. the show too. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, he's like, like playing tapes to people that have like subconscious mes- messages in them. And he's like in the girl's locker room, but ends up getting like attacked by the girls in the end. Like, but it's always a, a like C story. Right. Yeah. You remind me of when Tom Marvolo Riddle turns out to be I am Lord Voldemort. Oh yeah. Which is is like corny. It's I mean I know it's a kids book but like if if Tom Riddle had lived in the age of Swifties they would have cracked that code months ago. Like Right. <laughs> it's it's and, just very corny that he spells out the words and like oh my god he's the dark lord. Yeah, and include I am. Yeah. Hilarious. I know. I know the trailer came out today for return to Hogwarts and I like have like a real like ethical uh, uh, dilemma about it because like did you the trailer makes it look good and like I care about those movies and I 
such a big part of me really wants to see that reunion because it'd be like sentimental and nice. But like, there's just no way J.K. Rowling doesn't pocket a little money from it. And and the thing is conscious of that and she won't be a part of it. They're not going to talk about her, but like it's her IP. And so it's, it is going to enrich her. But then there's like, and so I hate that because she's like, and she just very recently was even more transphobic than before on Twitter. And it was like heinous. But there's another part of me that's like, maybe I should just like live our lives and just like what we like. And I don't know, make a donation to, to a, a, a pro trans organization or something in contrast to the fact that I've, I've watched this special. I don't know where, where to, to rationalize it, but like maybe I, I want to watch a thing that I should never watch. And it's a weird, a weird time. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be so hard on yourself about it. I don't think that. Well, you know. in the other side, it's like, if we're splitting hairs, there's probably an ethical reason not to watch just about every show on TV. Right. Yeah. Somebody six, I hate six, is getting richer by watching anything at all. Six degrees of cancellation. That should be what we call this. <laughs> that sounds depressing. You're always six degrees away from someone else being canceled. It has to be true. It's so true. It's yeah. mostly been Christmas stuff in our house and, and like mostly stuff we've seen. I've watched both Home Alones. We watched Love Actually, which gets worse every year. Uh, mm -hmm. I watched uh, Frosty the Snowman the other night. We watched Muppet Christmas Carol, which is like like pretty concretely one of my all-time favorites. It's just a masterpiece. I saw a meme about that today where it was like, it was just a picture of Michael Caine and it's like, so it's like the Muppets. So it's going to be like the Christmas Carol. So you're going to be, uh, you know, kind of interacting and playing around with these Muppets. And then like the picture of Michael Caine and underneath it just says like, I'm going to play this as straight as a fucking car accident yeah. or something. Like he's like <laughs> such a serious actor throughout. No, but that's what makes it good. And like, hats off to him because you're right. He does take it so seriously. And that must've been really challenging because other than one scene in the office really early in the movie with his nephew, Fred, he does this whole movie without a, like a traditional scene partner and it's full of right. art and totally works. Yeah. But to be fair though, I think those, those like Muppets are really pulling their weight. Like I saw yes. that documentary on Sesame street and like, oh, you're nice. literally you're act, you're acting with the puppets. Like they're, and a lot of the times on Sesame street, they were just totally, um, like kind of ad-libbing in the moment, yes. like based on what the kids said. So well, was, uh, you must have seen, and if you watch this documentary, which I haven't seen, but I suspect it's uh, featured in it, you must have seen Kermit does the ABCs with Joey. Yes. It's like one of the most precious things of all time. And that's clearly improv. And that's like, like, it's like one of the people's daughters that yeah. was on set, or it was like, maybe it was even Jim Henson's daughter. No, it's not Jim Henson's daughter. No. Because I've seen like this, This she's like a middle-aged woman now, and like I've seen her talk about it. Um, yeah. Because it was like her claim to fame. But it is like a classic, fabulous clip. And it was like in the 70s. Um, and I right. have heard other actors say that too. I think I heard Jason Siegel say that like, remarkably, like, you know, there's a, a puppet master there. But like, as soon as Kermit starts talking, like everything else goes away and you feel very much like Kermit is real. Totally. Like, it's easier to do that than to do, like, CGI. I'm talking to a tennis ball on a stick. Another thing that's interesting, I also remember Jason Siegel saying this, that, like, it's part of the Muppet Bible that, like, you're not allowed to refer to them as puppets. And so that's why the word Muppet exists, because they're not, right. they're not puppets. And so, like, what you have to remember is that 
Kermit is not a puppet of a frog. Kermit is a frog. And Miss Piggy yeah. is a pig. And so it's like it's you have to really buy into the the suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. We watched um, um we watched It's a Wonderful Life the other night. Okay. Which I had seen over three or four days in high school in the week leading up to Christmas. Not only was I too young to appreciate the themes of It's a Wonderful Life then, it wasn't exactly fed to me in the ideal forum. And so I properly right. watched it for the first time on Saturday. And it's like one of the best freaking movies I've ever seen in my life. I realize it's a cold take <laughs> to say that It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life is good. But like I was floored by how good this movie is. You want to know what's kind of a hot take that I saw a former coworker put online? Is that like It's a Wonderful Life is actually kind of like a the ending is is almost kind of like a fever dream of the greed that that um, he originally had, where it's like it essentially relies on the entire town giving him money. Well, I think the world relies on you having money, and that's what drives him to cynicism throughout the movie. Like he starts out to be this like very optimistic, like decent person who can't help but be, he's never corrupt, but he can't help but be um, contaminated by the evils that 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 corporations and capitalism have within them inherently, but he doesn't yeah. have it within him, and so that's what makes him depressed, I think. And so like, there's a beautiful line in the end where his brother comes home and he raises a toast to his brother, the richest man in town. He's not talking about money. He's talking about all the love that, that yeah. that George has in his life that allows him to be okay now. And so the money yeah. is kind of like, you're right, the, the, the only complication is that the money is there uh, as a villain in the story, but also it's symbolic of of the love in his life, I guess. I don't know, I haven't processed this very well, but like, I don't, I do not think it's a cynical movie. So just for the sake of me, reading you what he posted because i have the computer up here so i can find this very quick and i've got a separate uh we've got a separate screen um i didn't post a lot so i hope i have you are you updated on survivor yep he posted canada wins survivor is that true yeah erica won survivor last last week she's the first canadian ever to win survivor she lives in Toronto. Oh, that's big news. Yeah, big news. Were you planning on mentioning that? Actually, no. Interesting. Um, it was an overall very odd season of Survivor because it was done in 26 days instead of the traditional 39, and that was a COVID thing. And then they did the reunion like at Final Tribal Council rather than after the season had aired. And so that was also a COVID thing, but it was kind of awkward. And um, there were a lot of really winning players this season, and there were a couple of people yeah. I, I couldn't stand. I liked Erica a lot, but the consensus that I agree with is that she probably wasn't given the best edit. There was some like, clearly some new editing strategies paid this season. And um, I think it didn't do Erica, the ultimate winner, any favors. I was a big fan of this kid, Xander, who was 20 and he was just super charismatic. And I thought that he should have gotten some votes in final, but I was okay with, with Erica winning. Nice. Yeah. All right. Legit. I, I'm happy a Canadian one. That, that's first time, right? Oh, yeah. It was only a couple of seasons that Canadians have been allowed to play. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the post is, I found it here. 
watched It's a Wonderful Life last night. What an indictment of capitalism and greed. It is. Though I disagree with though I disagree with the assessment that it promoted communism. Contrary to conventional wisdom, I don't think this film uh, this film classic ends on a happy note. The final scene is a fever dream. The townspeople arrive en masse to shower George Bailey with every dime they can muster, for some probably more than they can afford. It's a manic frenzy. Having returned from a world in which he had never been born, George is still caught in a capitalist nightmare. His very freedom depends on dollars, and the root causes of his depression he carried throughout the film remain unaddressed. I, I, I just disagree with that. I think that it's it's established in the very first scene where we meet George when he's a little boy. It's established that everyone loves George and he has no idea. It completely goes over his head that people right. love him. And so throughout the movie, he gradually feels unlovable and broken and like he's nothing but like uh, a problem upon the earth. And he has to learn th through, uh, I mean, the obvious, the, the experience of seeing what the world would be like without him. Um, that that's completely uh, a mistake and he's completely wrong. What I was surprised to learn is that like the, the known lore about it's a wonderful life being how a guardian angel comes down and shows you the world. If you never existed, I thought that was the whole movie and it's not, it's like the last 25 minutes of a two and a half hour movie. Mm. I'm not is sure. It? Yeah. I'm not sure what, why that matters, but it, it, there's so much built up to that. Like they really, uh, effectively build him to a breaking point whoa so they 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 really get him to rock bottom yes and then the last 20 minutes is the guardian angel conclusion that's right huh great movie. yeah see i always feel like i i clue in at that that point in the movie where like what's the guardian angel's name again clarence clarence i yeah. see clarence come in and, and that's where it really takes off I also watched the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street, which I think I've seen before, and I've seen the the 94 version many, many times. I actually don't. I actually kind of think the the older version is not better, which probably a lot of people, film scholars, would vehemently disagree with. But I think it's kind of anticlimactic and not as good. But it's fine. Interesting. Yeah. And we rewatched the Ted Lasso uh, Christmas special. Nice. Nice. You like that? Yeah. One more thing on It's a Wonderful Life, although really just about my Letterboxd account. I logged it and I, I included it among like my very short list of what I think are perfect movies. And then I uh, arranged all the movies that I've seen in chronological order. And I have 871 movies logged on my Letterboxd. I, I like went through and I, I listed like literally every movie that I am sure I have seen and feel yeah. I'm entitled to an opinion on. I have 871 opinions on Letterboxd. I was amazed to learn that I have only seen 99 movies that were that came out before I was born. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Wow, that's all, I've seen sad. all those movies and actually a very small percentage of them are not new movies. You know what movie I started watching the other day, which would maybe fall into this category? Uh, is Raising Arizona. Oh, Coen Brothers. Yeah, Coen Brothers, Nick Cage. It's it's a it's a fun start. Okay. Does it feel Coen-y? Like, uh, it feels like the more fun side of the Coens. Okay. Where it's like interesting, very like clearly a different kind of narrative take. Have you seen the trailer for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? I have. I think that might have subconsciously been what 
what swung me to to do it. I didn't realize it was going to be such a comedy. Like it's very much like not taking itself. I no. mean, obviously it's not taking itself seriously, but it's like it's a comedy. It's like Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. But it could be fun. It looks like like Nick Cage is in on the joke, which is important. It comes out in April, which I feel is like just uh where you would dump a movie that's not gonna Yeah, maybe you're right about that. Do anything. Like just try to put it up against no competition and So I haven't seen Spider you... I haven't seen Spider Man. Um uh, and I kind of feel like I kind of feel like I'm not going to get the chance to see it for a long time now because it's not the time to go to the theaters. And it's a bummer because like I really I'm trying to avoid spoilers and I haven't mm-hmm. stumbled across any yet, I don't think, but like everywhere I click, there's something about Tom Holland. Yeah. And so I am kind of scared that I'm gonna have a hard time avoiding it forever. He's apparently dating Zendaya. That's a spoiler if you didn't know that. No, I did know that. That was part of the press tour. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he didn't spoil anything this time around, did he? No, I don't think Has so. Has he grown out of that? I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah. The yeah. movie had the third biggest worldwide debut of all time. And I don't know how that happens in a COVID world, but it made $587 yeah. million. Dollars. It's because COVID doesn't exist in, in the southern states. It feels that way. It feels that way. I guess that's kind of all I have in terms of uh, news. We haven't talked about the Succession season finale. Oh, we haven't. We didn't talk about this at all. And I'm. this is a, a subject that we actually have to get into. Because I had so many thoughts after it. But there will be uh, spoilers herein. So Succession fans should maybe skip a few minutes ahead if they haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. First of all, the further away I get from the end of it, the more I... Um, think that logan's not wrong oh no he's definitely not no like but but the story makes you feel like he's really robbing these kids of a chance but like his whole ethos of go make your own fucking pile no exactly like he can two things can be true right like he he can be right that he doesn't want to reward them for being leeches but also he's he's a bad person it's just yeah, like the conversation in the in the penultimate episode between he and Kendall really matters because Logan knows on some level that he is what Kendall's accusing him of being, but also mm-hmm. that it comes from this like sanctimonious position is so uh, delusional, and so he doesn't want to give Kendall the satisfaction, and so I think that was really effective for me. What was really striking about that final scene is that all season we have expected shiv to explode or maybe even all series we've been like okay but shiv is the smart one and i think what this episode really illustrates is that no she is actually no better at this than all of them and we saw a little taste of that in the penultimate episode with the dick pic moment involving jerry where like shiv pulls jerry out into the hallway and she like tries to kind of finesse her a little bit pr wise and jerry just smokes her like shiv can't handle anything right and then Jerry smoked when when she says that to uh, to Roman at the end, like, "Well, I don't understand how this best serves the board's interests." Right. I was like, "Oh my god, she never gave a fuck." No, exactly. It's uh, and I love the, the Tom turn. First of all, you're right. You're you're totally right about everything you say about Tom basically becoming Logan and Logan. Or was it Tom becoming Logan? 
I don't know about Logan, but like he he wants to step into. I think he has potential to succeed for sure because he's starting to get real respect from Logan. Yeah, and and that that end turn, which like the watch guys were saying was very like end of the Godfather, which oh, is, yeah. it kind of is. Yeah, kind of lit that way. Yep, like they and there's like he kisses Shiv on the forehead too. Like there's like such a it's like a very Fredo moment. A hundred percent. Um. And I love, I love the Greg, like, I love the fact that Greg says, this is like an official like stake in the ground of like, what am I going to do with a soul anyway? Yeah. That's like, and even the duplicity that he has that he shows in the last two episodes with the two girls, Mm -hmm. although he knows like one girl isn't really into him. He's like playing both sides and kind of becoming more comfortable with that when he was more just like, I'm right. in it for love. And, and, and then he's like, I can be the, the grand duchy. I mean, I guess that's the symbolism of him playing both sides with the girls, except for that they kind of accelerated that really quickly. They should have maybe hooked him up with with Kendall's assistant a little faster so that we could Comfrey, feel conflicted. Yeah, Comfrey, I think her name is. It's a bizarre name. But like they should have, they should have established at least an episode where actually he was doing a good job dating her and she was like into him. Like they, they just like really yeah. kind of forced that in the last two episodes and all at once, Greg is a player. Yeah, I fully, I fully agree with that. They yeah. could have, they could have drawn out his kind of like becoming. Because I think, I think the show ends and Greg is like screwing people over. Yeah, probably. Like, like when we get to the season finale, Greg's like doing something to pull the wool over someone else's eye. Is there a world in which he can screw over his own grandfather? Yeah, I think he does at this point because like his grandfather screwed him over. Right. I think that could I think that could happen. I love that I, I think it's going to be like a, a the wire ending where it's like, yeah, it just keeps on going like it's just an endless chain of right. you know, people getting drugs, people selling drugs. And that's like, also the, the godfather. Can never really stop it. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I love that the three main siblings are back together because I'm I was starting to get kind of bored of the war with Kendall and Roman in particular. Like I I want the two of them to be like idiots together. Um, But uh, it is interesting, isn't it? I think the scene with Connor early in the episode where he finally puts his foot down and like, he wants to have more respect as the older sibling. And like from the very beginning of the series, like he's clearly the sibling who doesn't get brought into like the inner circle and doesn't get the respect from, anyone including the father and so what bookends the episode is that connor has this like little meltdown at the beginning by the end of it they're all connor because logan might even be like planning a new baby right <laughs> and connor, yeah. connor all of his kids yeah yeah he's eating maca root mm. which i don't know if that's actually going to be a thing like that would be pretty bizarre it would plot line have we talked on the podcast about the Jeremy Strong article? Yes. So you you talked about it when I hadn't read it. And right. And I read it. Um, and I don't think it was like the biggest indictment of him. Like I thought it was well, like... No, it's not. I thought any... it was like... Go ahead. It was, it was obviously him. Um, the fact that he said he, he thinks the show is a tragedy and not a comedy. Yeah, like that, there, seems still, some, that seems delusional. Just like, yeah come on yeah like seriously um and you know that like him squaring himself away and like 
taking himself too seriously. Yeah, I don't think it was like the worst profile in the world. Like you and I talked about how people are like, wow, this is the most insulting thing ever. And, and I think he, he accepted an award too, where he kind of like brought up the he brought up like bullying and stuff like as if he was mentioning the article maybe you have oh, more content I don't I don't know I anything about that but what what I do know is that the consensus with was that the article appeared to be a hit job that like yeah it it really focuses on on his quirks which you know for all I know are are pretty genuine but here he also has these like former colleagues and friends who say okay but you like you didn't highlight the fact that like He's a pretty all right guy too. And so like the first yeah. example of it was Aaron Sorkin, who obviously I'm on the record as loving, uh, puts out this very long uh, like statement via Jessica Chastain's Twitter, yeah. bas basically saying that he feels like his comments to the interviewer who wrote the Jeremy Strong piece were taken out of context and like kind of warped to make Jeremy sound all the weirder. Um. And so then and they, they kind of were. Yeah, they kind of were. Yeah, for sure. Because the comment was about how like on the trial of Chicago seven doing the riot scenes, Jeremy Strong had suggested maybe actually getting tear gassed like in like a method kind of way. Mm -hmm. And Aaron's joke was, I mean, I guess it was just that, that he, he like suggested that. But like Aaron said in the piece, like, by the way, like, I don't think for a second that Jeremy Strong was ever like looking to endanger the crew. <laughs> like, yeah. And so, and so that's a, that's a point to be made. And Jessica Chastain, um, they're old pals and they did scenes together in Molly's game. And then Anne Hathaway, for whatever reason, came out in support of him too. And so it kind of all became a parody of itself because it seemed like this, this meek little famous man needed his celebrity friends to come out in his defense against the mean yeah. journalism man. And so it all kind of came off as a little embarrassing for everybody. But ultimately, yeah. I don't care because these are good artists and nobody really did anything that bad here. No, and it was a great like article to come out the week before that. that like it was, it got everyone kind of talking in the way that you want to be like, like, last episode of Breaking Bad kind of thing. Like there was that level of kind of, I think, industry hype around it. Well, this is the other thing about it that I think it becomes this interesting meta artifact after the episode airs. And it, it almost makes you wonder if like this journalist is given an advance on the episode and he in fact is writing this through the lens of how much in fact is Jeremy Strong like Kendall? Because watching that final episode after having read the article makes the episode richer when he's sitting in the dirt it somehow yeah. gets better right isn't it so interesting that there's a couple references to him trying to get an article with like vanity fair and that article like not actually his publicist like don't worry it's not actually happening and then like shiv calling it up like hey maybe don't like show all of our shit to Vanity Fair. Yes. Maybe let's have a conversation <laughs> internally. Instead. I just can't help but think that there's like meta publicity happening here. Yeah, I, I, I think this is maybe the future of publicity where like, wow. they're, like we're kind of going to tie this into the show as well. Like he's going to be a pariah and it's going to- That like, is cynical of, because it's not journalism, but it was a good piece of writing. True. So it's like a, uh, what, what's the word for it? Um, you know, obviously- being in, in communications with and it's an advertorial advertorial okay yeah well yeah. It, which is it like worked. usually there's 
usually there's like a line up top being like this is an advertorial where you know you turn to that page and you're like oh this is like a big news story about this conference that's coming here and then you like see up top it's like paid for by the uh, oh okay so this is like it's just a full page ad that they're making look like an article it's all a manipulation is what you're saying yeah hey talk to me about bud oh wow what a weird like i i have no idea about this uh the zach woods thing no is this is zach woods the same guy who did um i know who zach woods is but did he do the the will ferrell um uh there's will ferrell and william jackson harper i don't know like a therapy thing a couple years ago i'll have to figure out who did that short maybe he was involved i I would tell you to watch that one okay that is also incredible might be i'm like 90 percent sure it's zach woods Um, so the world anyways the world knows zach woods as like Gabe from The Office and he's in Silicon Valley. So he's this like weird gangly guy and now he's made a short film called Bud which is 10 minutes long and you can watch it on YouTube and it stars Michael Pena and this little girl. Uh, and yeah. I just heard about it because Zach Woods was promoting it on James Corden which is already unusual to be promoting uh, a short film but Corden was like really generous about it and so I called it up and it's a really interesting text. Yeah. It's... So I think maybe Zach Woods is going to be, because he did do this other short film, David, and I'll ask you to watch it right after. Okay. You, you messaged me this morning and just said, hey, you should watch this short film yeah. by Zach Woods, which I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll watch it right now. Um, very interesting kind of critique of uh, like public um, anger. Yeah. And, and an entitlement to someone else's privacy. Yeah. So so in in premise it's this dad out to dinner with his daughter and she's like I don't know 7 or 8 and it's her birthday. Yeah, it's her 7th birthday. And it, they're at this like Mexican restaurant and they're like it's established that they are they love each other so much. Like this father and daughter have like a very special bond. And they're so excited to be having dinner together. And they play this game called, uh, is it called Rosebud Thorn? Uh, yeah, Rose Thorn Bud. Rose Thorn Bud. And so the idea is that they have to like list three things. And one one is like a thing that makes them happy. And one is the thing that's going to make them happy. And then another thing is a thing that they have to overcome, I guess. And, yeah. and periodically, we kind of get an idea that, other people in the restaurant know who this dad is and he is some kind of societal pariah. And so it, yeah. it develops into this riotous moment where they're swarmed and they're forced to leave the restaurant and it ruins the little girl's birthday. But you never learn why he's known and why he's hated. I like that, by the way. It's yeah, it, it's important. Like although it like it does make you desperate to know. Like it, I I kind of thought maybe he had done something horrible. Like maybe he was responsible for an accident. And Becky thought he was a journalist. And so like these are completely different interpretations. Oh, wow. I know. Um, but like it also matters that the mom isn't there, and she like mentions that as her thorn. She's like, I wish mom was here. And so you do kind of wonder like is is that part of this? Is and, he maybe like like framed for like? killing his wife or something or Jeez, that's really dark i don't know about that 
he seems so pure and lovely, which is part of the manipulation of it. Um, mm. And he does genuinely love his daughter and he just wants to make her birthday good. And certainly you resent that these strangers are ruining the little girl's birthday and that they can't see that this is not the time. But without right. knowing why they're mad at him, it's hard to be totally on one side or the other, even though he's the protagonist. And so it's a really interesting exercise in character allegiance. I don't even think it's hard. Like, I think because you don't know, you just want to, to be on his side. For sure, yeah. Like oh, they're the giving villains. you license to be like, everyone else is just hating this person. And he's like trying to have a birthday dinner with his daughter. Who right. just wants to hear the birthday song from the guy with the big guitar. Right. But there's so many examples where the masses are, are the righteous ones and the mm -hmm. individual who is hated is hated for an obvious reason. Like, I guess an exception to that would be like Richard Jewell, where everybody was yeah. wrong. But we don't know that everyone's wrong about Michael Pena in this movie. Like, maybe it's really justified. Yeah. But even if it oh. is, does that entitle them to ruin this little girl's birthday who just loves her dad? No, that's, of course not. That's the thing. Like, it, it, it comes down to, like, and the fact that he wasn't saying, it's my little girl's seventh birthday. Like, I'm yeah. trying to not have this conversation right now. Yeah. And I also kind of think that, that that would happen. I don't think that he would be publicly mobbed in a restaurant because he was with his daughter. Mobbed, I think maybe might not. Be, like, looking, so. Yeah, people would look. Mo mobbed, maybe not. But I think people say shit. Yeah, everyone, like, guys were like, listen to her. Yeah. Listen to her. And, like, throwing drinks. Like, it was it was clearly, like, very exaggerated. But, but yeah, it's a... Uh, it was a tough. I'm just sending you David right now. It was it was tough to watch, but I I thought it was a good good ending. Yeah. So all throughout it, uh, she's asking if she can get like one of the mariachi guys to sing her a song. Like she clearly understands that that's a thing that happens in this restaurant, and yeah. he's like he's pretty sure that that's not going to happen. And I guess we realize after the fact that like he doesn't want to ask for any special favors in this place because it's already like he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. And so he's yeah. like, I don't know if we're going to get the mariachis tonight. And she's like, okay. But then they get, uh, they get escorted out of the restaurant. And like one of the mariachi guys there gives her like a private performance. And it's really special. The guy who's been referenced all day with the big guitar. Who, yeah. Like, he said was dead. And that, that was actually the, the, the best part. Like the, I love the ending because clearly like she's hoping that this man's going to come out the whole time. And so the whole thing is hope. Like, mm -hmm. I think he's the bud. So she's hoping that he's going to come out. And the dad is not necessarily very um, hopeful that, that you know, he's going to come out on the other side of everything. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, hope is dead. And then she comes out and she goes, he comes out and she goes, hey, my dad said you were dead. And uh, he says, like, not yet, man. Right. And walks away after playing the song, which I was like, oh. I think privacy like is a really big theme of it too, though. Like the, at the end of the day, no matter what happened, they are entitled to their privacy. And so they end up getting it in, in the alley where no one else can get to them. Yeah. How good is this little girl? Oh my God. She yeah. She's precious. Also, like, I find short films to be so interesting. Yeah, I know, eh? Like when people go out and they make something so powerful. Yeah and short he said so much in like, 10 minutes becky cried yeah 
yeah, it's uh, it was a good one. You you'll really like David. I'll I'll, okay. I'll send it to you. It's a little more. It's also very dark, but it's also a little more like uplifting. I think and kind of funny. Great, I can't wait to check it out. And and Will Ferrell. And he, it's Will Ferrell, um, William Jackson Harper, and the kid from White Lotus. Which kid? The 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 boy. Oh, okay. Quinn. Yeah. Quinn. Okay. Yeah. I'm into that. Is this yeah. does Bud become one of those short movies that gets like enough traction that it gets developed into like a big story, or does that actually take away from it? I think it takes away from it. I think the the deeper you go on it, the more you find out about the whole story. Yeah. The more you can take a side. Yeah. And I, think I don't so. think you're supposed to take a side. Or I think you're, I think you're very much just supposed to take one side. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think like a good example of a short film that that was well developed into a longer one is is Whiplash. Like so, like the classroom scene that involves the throwing of the chair, like that was the whole movie once, and right. they managed to retain the theme of the movie by telling it over two hours pretty effectively. And I think you're right about Bud. I think that it has to be short. It has to be really contained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I'm interested to see what Zach Woods does from here on out because he's I know. good filmmaker, apparently super talented guy. Yeah. Yeah. We should talk about station 11 uh, because we've been going for a long time. Do you want me to Let's recap it? it? Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to put you on the clock here. Wait a second. Just tell me this. Is there any particular reason why Himesh Patel is suddenly babysitting this little girl who was in the cast of King Lear? Or does it just happen to be that, like, she starts following him and he's looking out for her? So he's trying to to find her wrangler right. inside. And then she she goes off with someone else for a little bit and then he walks outside and she's just by herself again okay and he's like what are you doing here and she's like i'm waiting for my parents or something but they're like not answering their phones okay and he's like she's like i'm gonna go get on the bus or i'm gonna go get on the train and he's like well you can't get on the train by yourself mm -hmm. so he just kind of like has this sense of responsibility in the same way that he had the sense of responsibility to get on stage he doesn't necessarily know what he's doing but he like knows that it's the right thing. Okay. Okay. I got it. Yeah. I think you're going to put me on the All clock. Right. We're going to put you on the clock here. Okay. So you're going to start in three, two, one. There's one. The opening scene is just a shot of a post-apocalyptic world. And we can see in the overgrown grass ruins of this city, there's like a playbill with a movie star's face on the cover of it. And then we flash to that play, which is a production of King Lear, I guess on Broadway or something like this big theatrical production of King Lear starring a movie star. He start, starts to like go into cardiac arrest in the middle of the play. And Hitmesh Patel jumps up on stage and tries to give him CPR. But the actor dies in front of everybody. And I have no time left. But he basically gets in like in. in inherits the custody of this little girl and they go on a big walk while around them uh, a viral pandemic begins ensues and it happens very fast and the hospitals are uh, swarmed by people who are dying and planes are crashing and very very quickly the world is ending from uh, a, a deadly virus and at the end he does arrive at the apartment building of his brother to kind of take refuge. I think that's the end of the episode. Other than that, we flash 
forward um, 80 days to when the world really is done for. And then we see Mackenzie yeah. Davis on, on the beach. And I wasn't clear if Mackenzie Davis is like the girl grown up. She is. Yeah, I guess that was because she's reading the comic book. All yeah. this whole episode, I'm wondering where is Mackenzie Davis, who's who I came for. And right. she, she's not what a pilot. What else has she been in? She's in like The Martian and she was in uh, that Christmas movie with Kristen Davis last last year. And I, there's probably like a big thing that I'm, oh, I'm right, not sure. thinking of. She's like very, she's like one of the better untapped young actors, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And the next, the next couple episodes they start doing. So like present day is, is actually that I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. It's basically just the, the basic premise That's of the fine. show. Sure. If you're okay with it. So um, they're basically flashing back to her as a child being with uh, uh, Hamish. Hamish. The actor's name is Hamish Patel. He was the star of Yesterday and also he's in Tenet. That was him. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Um, so Hamish Patel and uh, his brother Frank are like taking taking her in kind of because like she like, you know, it's kind of assumed that her parents die and she needs to. So, um, Anyways, eventually, like further on in the story, you don't know what necessarily has happened to Hamesh or Frank, but they, um, the, and I, or Jeeve, Jeeve is his name, and Frank. Hmm. Um, but they, she ends up like finding this, this group as a young girl. And it's actually like a traveling Shakespearean um, troop, uh, group, troop. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of continually travel around. To different parts so it's like a post-apocalyptic thing but it's also like all of these kind of artists whether they're you know extremely serious or just kind of like down to kind of mess around and they they go from like little post-apocalyptic camp to post-apocalyptic camp and they call it the wheel and they're just going to all these kind of same tour stops that are they tend to be around like the the kind of canadian the midwest like canadian u.s border Okay. And maybe I failed to mention that this little girl was in the cast of the play too. So she yeah, already has so she, this implicit to her. She starts out as a, and, and they happen to be doing like all Shakespearean plays. Right. How uh, messed up would it be if you saw a play and the actor just died on stage? And also, it's also so weird that like Himesh Patel is the, he's the one, he's in the audience and he's the one person of like a thousand who recognizes that this is not how it's supposed to go. Like even the other cast at first is like, yeah, well, this is fine. And then yeah, a guy like, dies uh, on stage. And I guess he died from the flu, right? He died from the flu that's killing everybody? Yeah. I got to tell you, I was kind of in, but I was I, I was pretty bummed when about halfway through when I realized this is another show about a flu spawn pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh pretty real. We've done a we've done think... a bit of this in the last few years and I'm not sure like what of it is conscious and what of it is just a bad coincidence, but like there's been an awful lot of post-apocalyptic, like the stand. And there's a few other examples I think of like where viruses kill people. That one with Will yeah, Forte totally. where people turned into deers and stuff. Sweet tooth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got sweet tooth. We got uh, the one with, um, uh, what's his name? The guy from say anything. John Cusack. Oh, the comic book show. Also John about he, a comic book. You're right. Exactly. And the that, stand. Like, those are so close. Yeah. And the stand. Yeah, so there's like a lot, there's, there's a lot of this. And I think like, I actually made a bit of a realization about about these shows, these HBO like grim shows without a lot of comedy. 
what I think is my detachment is that I really need my characters to be better than my concepts. Like a lot of these shows rely on you to be intrigued enough by the premise that they have these kind of monodimensional, like gloomy characters who don't like give you a lot of personality and they expect you, especially in sci-fi, this happens. And I'm not saying that that Station Eleven is necessarily guilty of this because I, I do find him charismatic and the kid is good. Um, and I'd like to see more of Mackenzie Davis, but like a lot of the shows we talk about, I realize that they're good in premise, but the characters aren't written interestingly. Do you feel like 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 this show grows out of that because you have seen a couple of them? Yeah. Okay. And I think they do a better job of they're giving you the piecemealing together why characters are the way that it's not like unlike Lost. Right. You know how Lost is kind of filling you in on like why this guy's such an asshole and why this person's like they're just giving you these kind of like little bits of info through flashbacks. And like oh, I want to know more right. about that person. But but Lost is first and foremost a show about character development and some of these shows are not no i think this one is good okay great that's good yeah yeah um yeah and i would say that's kind of like actually like a little aside i think that's when reservation dogs starts getting very good it's when they go into like this is like the slaney episode and this is the sweets episode that's good I and like, like that. it's yeah 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 learn more about them really good it's interesting isn't um, it that that like chris ryan said this is the best show of 2021 and like there's almost no talk about it yet and like yeah. this becomes well, he's seen all 10 episodes at this point i don't know i i just i've always kind of suspected that there's some kind of weird unspoken deal between hbo and the ringer they just like seem to be on certain hbo shows more than the rest of the world and to be fair i felt this way about succession like they seem to be ahead of the curve on succession and they were right, and now everybody likes Succession. But there are like they were they were ahead on White Lotus, and they just there's something about Ringer people where they seem to be like, well, it's on HBO. Okay, that's the only thing we want to talk about, and that seems bizarre to me. I think maybe they maybe there's something where like they have to watch it. But yeah. I will say that um, yeah, they they definitely got all ten episodes because there's only three episodes there right now. Right. And they watched all ten episodes. Okay. And they're they're it's like their number one show of the year. Is that why you're you're invested, or do you genuinely find it great? No, I don't find it like to be the most amazing show yet. Okay, I'm three episodes in. But but similarly to Reservation Dogs, you're searching for something. You're hoping to get something out of it that you've been promised. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's valid. Um, it's uh, and I I like it. Like the deeper we go into learning you know, like who made the comic and their story. And is it, you know, it starts to kind of be like hinted at as a prophecy of mm. like the whole, and there's like a bunch of stuff that kind of ties into to present day wheel world. <laughs> and yeah. it also feels like it's another one of those technology addiction indictment things. Like she's got her phone and he says to her, uh, you're gonna want to charge that it's in the red what do you do if it dies before you plug it in? Do you die too? Like, it just feels very yeah. specifically. And then he like struggles to define his career as a content creator. And that kind of feels like, it just kind of feels like it's a discussion of how like we're all in this 
uh, uh, singularity. Yeah, there's there's more of that in the future too. Like there's a scene where she's walking around with someone else who must have been born after the fact, or maybe like was too young to have a phone at the time. And like she's got like an old phone. And she's like, so like imagine just having a number like yeah. this other girl. She's like, and I'm just talking to anyone I want to talk to. And she's like, oh, I wish no, the first thing she does is like describes Uber essentially. So she's like, so I hit a button and the car shows up. And where does it take me? Like, Wherever you want to go. You're going. Kind of thing. And she's like, oh my God, phones are amazing. And and like because he goes like, yeah, they're not that great. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of, yeah. Grass do, is greener. do you have any context about their choice to make a pandemic show in a pandemic? Like we're, we're in the world now where like this show could have been conceived post COVID, but like maybe it wasn't. I don't think it was. I think it was one of those, it was another one of those shows. Cause they had to move like the filming too. They, oh, yeah. they moved it to Toronto where we have someone that we know that actually worked on the show. I right. Don't know if you saw that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that we're probably still in a place where by and large people aren't trying to make, although with, with the success of these shows, they might start being like, Oh, I mean, I guess shows there. And, and pandemic shows are where ultimately we're. I just want stuff to be good. And so that's, that's all that really matters. But I do kind yeah. of agree with this, this consensus that like, we don't need COVID to be a part of our everything because like entertainment should be escapist. That said, COVID is starting to be ubiquitous enough that you're actually writing sci-fi if you write a world without it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's true. That's more of a fantasy. And like, there's, a, there's a, it's just so on the nose relatable. Like there's a moment where there's someone else in the elevator and it's freaking them out. And that's like, it's very specific anxiety that all of us are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I like, like Jen was like, nice he actually did it like because there's so many so many post-apocalyptic shows where it's like they don't do the thing where it's like no you always put yourself first like yeah why would you let that woman on he's like fucking full <laughs> yeah no i love that because like i've i've in fact quite recently been like yeah do you want to get on <laughs> and then i have to ride the elevator yeah. and like kind of hold my breath with the stranger i hate it right and they might hate it too, for all I know, but we just like create this awkward thing where we want to talk to each other as little as possible. We, right. For some reason, we can't just say, I'll get the next one. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, I got the stairs. Don't worry about it. I also reject that a plane that big could crash that close and they would feel no impact and the building they're in would take no damage. And they just like look out the window and very gracefully a 747 like crashes into the fire hydrant beneath their building and they're like, Wow. <laughs> they're like uh oh yeah <laughs> the creator is patrick somerville he also created the show maniac which you and i both struggled with uh yeah he was the executive producer of made for love which you quite liked and he wrote four episodes of the leftovers which you adored mm-hmm. yes I, I certainly did wait made which one made for love again i think you watched oh, it right. i think the, that's uh the, the amazon show yeah. it's just a weird name it's yeah one of those ones that i can't uh, yeah i did like made for love right so anyway this guy's this guy's good i guess i he, he worked with damon lindelof i guess speaking of lost yeah. um so that's kind of interesting that you made that connection it's a good show I, I give it my s for sure but i just don't know if i want to see more pandemic stuff but it's a it's a well-made show and by the way i think himesh patel has movie star qualities 
I think he's, I think he could be a big star. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. He was great in this show. Yeah. Yeah. Really liked it. Um, I give him my S as well. I will continue to watch it. I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. It's kind of hard for me to think that it will, I don't know. Like they're, it feels like a mini series. It is a mini series. Yeah. I think like based on a book. Oh, it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. And well, that does who, change it a little bit. It, like my my quibbling over the fact that it's about a flu pandemic. That the fact that it's like yeah, an so existing it IP. It wasn't written. Okay. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't written because of COVID nineteen. Like it existed before COVID nineteen. Good. The fact that they developed it into a show remains to be seen from it. Like I'm not quite sure. I think it was going to be developed for. It might be bad timing. It, it might be good a, timing for all I know. Like who cares what I say. My sister told me one time about um, an off-Broadway show that she saw called like, it was basically like, I think it was called like the the Simpsons. Like it was, there was like a tie-in with the Simpsons, but it was essentially that like there was a, an apocalypse or something. And the Simpsons as like IP was like one of the things that survived. Oh and so God. people started kind of treating that as God. And I guess it was like really funny, but also really deep. Like it was like the Simpsons post-apocalyptic, like, well, that, that, that sounds in premise to be really nihilistic, doesn't it? That like at the end of the day, like yeah. we'll just cling to whatever we have, whatever, whatever we survives. can worship. Yeah. Like we're going to tell stories in the future about something. Right. And like this goes to show, I think it was probably like, probably got kind of like an anti-religion stance. That's one of uh, Ricky Gervais's like core arguments when he talks about, um, about atheism and I don't love Ricky Gervais but I do think that this is a clever take that like if we started humanity over we wouldn't come up with Christianity again but we would come up with all the same science again right yeah I think that's a good a good way of putting it yeah that's fair it's funny as a storyteller that he rejects religion so much (laughs) but he's not he's not a storyteller he's he's a professional uh, deviant he's like a defiant like rule breaker yeah but he's created stuff before like it, oh okay but like you can you can be creative and not believe in god 100 percent. but i just like think there's no appreciation for the story like at a certain point you gotta be like this is crazy shit like you gotta sure. admire the, yeah. the, the weaving of the story well that we put together well maybe yeah i guess maybe he appreciates the like the the narrative structure of the gospel according to Luke? I don't know. I haven't talked to him about it. <laughs> I don't know. This is just cut off the top of my dome. This was not a prepared uh, a prepared day. Well, hey, speaking of the Bible, we're not going to have another podcast before Christmas because it's just in a few days. But it would be nice if we right. could do our traditional, uh, all the shows to look forward to in the next year, pre-NYE podcast. Right. And fave, faves of the year. Faves of the year, yeah. Do a big retro, yeah. Yeah, retro forward forward look we'll do that we'll plan Watched that. a lot nice. of tv this year i gotta say yeah what else was there to do yeah um cool yeah i'm totally down i will um i i sent through on the chat the uh the david short film i would i i really want you to watch that like after this if you if you have the time okay i'm saving it right now because i uh yeah i want to i want to check that out for sure yeah it's like 11 minutes um there is an official Will book club, like they read the biography Will, and they uh, have joined officially with Oprah's book club to have like public discussions about the big themes of life 
through the lens of will the autobiography. So it's kind of like where we like look at the great ethical conundrums of the world through episodes of The Simpsons or whatever, but no, they're just mm -hmm. sticking to will as their core text. Oprah and then the will superstance. Wow. Yeah. I feel like Will's like one, like I feel like the red table is, is so close to just being Oprah affiliated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's a, def a definite line to be drawn there. She's been a, a part of this Will discussion for a while. I think because her stamp of approval matters. Right. West Philadelphia. That's right. Um, wait, did that show come out yet? The, the... No, we'll know about that. That's a 2022 okay. to look forward to. Anyway, I think this actually goes back to Ricky Gervais's point about like, if if we started humanity over and we we were just left with the remains and if it wasn't a Simpsons episode, it might be an old ratty copy of Will by Will Smith and that would become the new Bible from which we build palaces and civilizations. The gospel according to Will. That's right. Big Willie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's 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 enough reason never to trust Will Smith right there. That's why I never trust Will Smith. Think about the future implications of this post-apocalyptic <laughs> politics. <laughs>